0: Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We've been in a series studying the names of God that are found in the Old Testament, specifically studying the compound personal names of God. For example, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals. Jehovah Makadish, I am the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. These are some of the names that we've been studying about who God is in our life. And remember, as I shared previously, uh, God's personal name was revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses encountered God at the burning bush. And it's the first time we learned God's personal name, Yahweh. Or Jehovah, And it's closely connected to his declaration to Moses of who he is. When Moses asked, who do I say that the Lord sends? And God responded to Moses. He said, tell them I am sends you. And that idea of I am that I am is the idea of completeness, com- the idea of wholeness, that God lacks nothing. He is in lack of nothing. He is complete. And that is the God Who we serve, amen? Amen. Today we're gonna look at the name Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. And some of you probably already know the word shalom and you understand the idea of peace, but the name appears for the very first time, and I think it's the only time it appears in a compound form, Jehovah Shalom. It appears in Judges chapter six. It's the story of Gideon who's referred to as a mighty man of valor. And when I think of Gideon, I think of the story of great faith, a story of great courage, a story of great strength, a story of God's mighty power, how a small group of men, about 300 warriors, took on the Midianite army of 135,000. And these 300 men, guess what? defeats that army of 135,000. But when I think of the story of Gideon, I really don't ever think of it in context to Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. I don't connect the dots there, usually. Yet surprisingly, we find the name Jehovah Shalom recorded in the story of Gideon. And here's a thought or a premise that I want to set before you today for this message. That I want you to get into your spirit, and I want you to wake, uh, wake I want you to go home today and discover this in your life. You, maybe some of you have already discovered this, but I want us to discover it even more. Is that courage, hope, and strength increase when we discover that Jehovah is our peace? Let me say it one more time: courage, hope, and strength. Will increase in your life when you discover that my peace comes from Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord is my God. Let's start with a little background on the story of Gideon himself. First, the story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges, it's in the Old Testament, in chapters 6 through 8. The Israelites had just finished experiencing 40 years of peace. Uh, the Judge Deborah, who was a great judge, she led the country of Israel in a great way and they experienced 40 years of peace. But then, all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but it's a repeated pattern in the Israelites, they, start, they stopped worshiping God and they started um, um, choosing to do evil things, especially they started to commit idolatry and started to worship other gods. Gideon was the fifth of 12 judges recorded in the book of Judges. And in the Old Testament, the idea of a judge, the role of a judge, was very different from the role that we see today. We see a judge in a courtroom. We see a judge making decisions. Is he guilty or not guilty or leading a jury? But in, in, in the days of the Old Testament, in the days of 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 Joshua and Moses remember Moses led the children of Israel out of the out of uh, Egypt and then Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land after Joshua had passed away God raised up judges and used them as military leaders to deliver the Israelites from persecution of their enemies Israel's judges were prior to the monarchy of the kings which we discover were King Saul and King David. This is prior to that, God would use judges who would rule. In fact, what made the Israelites unique was that they had no earthly king. Yahweh was their king. Jehovah was their king. The only reason that God gave in or allowed them to have king is that's what they wanted. They wanted an earthly king, but God always had in his plan that he would be the king of the the Israelites. That's what made them different from any other nation. Judges is a book that displays God's faithfulness to a group of people who are constantly allowing sin to bring bondage in their lives. Israel would sin by pursuing other gods, and then Yahweh's protection would be lifted from them. This happened over and over and over and over again. And then pretty soon, they would cry out to the Lord, and God's faithfulness would bring deliverance to the people. It's a rep- repeated pattern. And when, I, when, I, when you read the book of Judges, one of the things I want you to really look at is not so much on the repeated pattern of sin of the Israelites. I want you to focus on the repeated pattern of the faithfulness of who God is. That God is faithful over and over again. See, God cannot change. He is, a, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So if God was faithful in the Old Testament, then God is faithful in the New Testament, and God is faithful with us today because he's the same. So they would pursue other gods. They would start to commit sins in their life, and they would be found, find themselves in bondage, and Israel would eventually repent and then cry out to help to Yahweh And God would deliver him. During Gideon's day, the people of Israel were living under a constant state of fear caused by the Midianites and the Amalekites and other people from the east. And the Israelites were under this constant attack. The Midianites were especially brutal and barbaric and they caused great havoc upon the people of Israel. They would rape, when they come into into their villages, they would rape the women they would destroy the crops, steal the livestock, and they would kill anybody that would try to stand in their way. And it was, it was kind of just a brutal time in, in that part of history. It was so bad that the Israelites finally fled up into the mountains and they were up and hiding. And they would actually be hiding in caves just to, just to escape this attack of the Midianites, these brutal people. These brutal attacks lasted for seven years. And it wasn't until the Israelites were reduced, catch this, it wasn't until the Israelites were reduced to starvation that they finally cried out for the Lord for help. It wasn't to the place where they've been, they've been beaten down for seven years, the women have been raped, the livestock had been taken, the, the, the crops have been destroyed, and now they're in a place of starvation, they're hiding in caves, and then finally they get to this place where they say, Lord, we need your help. And I was thinking about this as I was reading the story and preparing this message for today. I was thinking how long it takes for us, how miserable we have to get to finally get to a place where we will say, Lord, I need your help. How many times will we try to do it our own way? We try to do it through our own strength. We try to do everything, I can do this, and then all of a sudden we find out we can't do this. See, pride always gets in the way of our relationship with God. Pride always wants to step in. I can do this thing. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle. And God finally allows enough to happen in our life where he says that I think they'll turn now. And they repent and they turn to God. I want to highlight a few verses found in this story of Gideon. We're not going to read all the chapters, but again, the story is found in Judges 6-8, through 8, and I encourage you to read that on your own sometime today or this week. But let's look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the, the clan of Abezer. Gideon's son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Can you imagine an angel all of a sudden appearing to you in, the, in your kitchen one morning and all of a sudden, hey, mighty hero, the Lord is with you? What would you do into that situation? I mean, it's pretty amazing thought that all of a sudden an angel appeared to Gideon. But the first question I want to ask is why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? A wine press was for crushing grapes. It was not for threshing wheat. Yet we find him threshing wheat in a wine press, and the reason is because he was so full of fear of what of what the Midianites could do against them that he was basically trying to hide in this wine press that was kind of lower, and he was threshing this wheat carefully so that none of the enemy could see him because he was fearful of what they would do to him. Let's continue to verse fourteen. Then the Lord's turned to him and said go with the strength you have and rescue israel from the midianites i am sending you but lord getting replied how many come on come on how many can relate to getting right here but lord getting replied how can i rescue israel my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of manasseh and i am the least in my entire family why are you choosing me god and the lord said to him i will be with you powerful words and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man it's at this point Gideon begins to ask God for a sign to prove that it's really the Lord who is speaking to him and man I tell you what now I can't find fault in Gideon right here I mean all of a sudden an angel appears to you mighty hero And all of a sudden you're told that you're going to go and you're going to fight these brutal people. You're going to take Israel who are hiding in caves right now. And you're going to go fight against the Midianites. And you're going to win this battle. And God is choosing you to lead it. I don't blame Gideon to say, man, I need a sign from you, God. I mean, some of you, just the idea of switching jobs or a career. Man, you're asking for God for signs. You know, here, Gideon has chosen to lead a country into a battle. God, give me a sign. The task must have seemed impossible. Listen to the next part of the story. We're going to start in verse 17. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, and this is the angel of the Lord, answered, I will stay here until you return. Then Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat And with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. And the angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah, in the land of the clan of Ebizer to this day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word, Lord God, is challenging. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult, but God, we know that your word, Lord, brings life to us. And so I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that your word would come alive in our hearts and minds and that we would not leave this place the same way that we entered. But God, I pray that we would leave Lord God, uh, recognizing you a little bit more, Lord God, in our life, that we would recognize who you are, God, that we'd recognize that you are, Lord God, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you read the next part of the story, you find out Gideon honors God by destroying the altar that his father had built. And I'm not going to read all that. I'm just kind of paraphrasing for you today. But he, did, he went and honored God by destroying the altar that his father had built uh, for the people to worship Baal. And it seems like Gideon's father, Joash, was trying to please people instead of trying to please God. And many times we can find ourselves in the same type of pattern where we want to please people and we forget that the first and most important calling in our life is to please God. After Gideon destroyed the altar of Baal, the townspeople were so upset they wanted to kill Gideon. They said, because Gideon went in at night because he knew that this was going to change things. He knew that he was about ready to change culture. I remember changing culture when I first came to this church. And it was like, whoa. And and Gideon's about ready to change culture. He's going to change some things. He's going to mess with some people. He says, I'm going to destroy this. this. We're not going to worship anything but God. So I'm taking this idol of Baal down. We're going to destroy this. Townspeople wanted to kill him for it. When they woke up that next morning, they saw that the idol of Baal had been destroyed. They're looking for Gideon. And Gideon's father finally steps in, Joash, and he defends his son. And it appears to me that Joash never had the courage to go against the people's desires until Gideon took a stance for God. See, in your life, you're gonna have times where people want you to do this, people want you to do this. What is God calling you to do? And when God calls you to do something, you need to take a stance for God and say, God, I hear you, I see you, I'm taking a stand for you. We need to do that in our own lives. After this, Gideon once again asked God for a couple of different signs, confirmed that God was going to use him to rescue the Israelites. I get it. He's questioning, he's wondering, man, this is a huge task. And he, I don't want to get into all the details. You can read it for yourself in, in, the, in, in the story. But Gideon then prepares for battle. And during this time of preparation, the Lord takes the army of Israel that, that amounted to about 22,000 people, men, warriors. He takes them and he, and, he, and he reduces that number down to 10,000. Then he reduces it one more time down to 300 men. Not 22,000. 300 men that were going to take on the Midianite army of 135,000. If you want more details, again, read it in the story of Judges chapter 6 through 8. But the reason the Lord reduced the Israel's army was to let everyone know that the battle wasn't won because of man's strength, but because of God's strength. I want to focus the rest of our time here today, and I've, speak, I've spoken before on the story of Gideon here at the church, but I've never spoken it from this perspective, and I want to take the rest of our time here today to talk about Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace, or, Jeho- or Yahweh Shalom, whichever your translation might say when you're reading your word there today. The Lord is peace. Let me share two different descriptions of peace that we find in the Bible. The first piece is focused on peace, with God, peace with God. The Hebrew word shalom is accurately accurately translated peace, and probably some of you already knew that shalom meant peace. But it implies more than just not having conflict in life. Sometimes we think of peace as just, hey, there's no conflict going on, I have peace. But it implies more than that. Peace in the Old Testament implies wholeness. It implies completeness. At times, shalom is translated as success, that your life is complete. Your life is whole. The idea is that you're in right standing with someone. You're in right standing and you are at peace. In verse 22 of chapter 6, when Gideon finally realized that he was seeing an angel face to face, and it was really the Lord that he's seen face to face, he thought he was doomed. Why? Why did Gideon think that when he encountered the Lord face to face to face and he finally realizes, this is really the Lord speaking to me, all of a sudden, alas, I'm doomed. Why did he think he was doomed? I think because he was not in peace. He was the opposite of peace. He thought he would be destroyed. Gideon recognized that he was unworthy. He recognized that. In fact, Gideon recognized that there's something wrong. There's something not right because for whatever reason, it just seems like the blessing of God has lifted off the Israelites and the Midianites are having their way with us. Something's not right in, in town right now, man, because, man, everything is going wrong. In verse 13, the Lord, uh, Gideon states, the Lord abandoned the Israelites to the Midianites. I think it's one of the reasons why we see in this story that Gideon doesn't immediately respond just with this great faith. He goes, Lord, are, me? You're asking me? In Isaiah 57, 21, it states these words, There is no peace for the wicked. And it's a reminder for all of us that when we live outside the righteousness of God, we will not have peace, but we will have Unrest. I've spoken to many different people who have come to this church at different times, and they've entered this church in fear. They fear what God might do to them. They haven't been in church forever. Uh, they know they're sinful people. They know that they have been living righteously. And they walk in literally trembling into the church because they wonder if God's going to punish them. And they wonder if they step into the, all of a sudden, fire and flame would come out from the ceiling and pff, just destroy them. Now, we want to be a church that welcomes all people. Amen? We want to be a gracious church that embraces people. But I'm not going to be such a seeker-sensitive church that I'm going to change the gospel or the word of God just to make people pleased. We are a church that's going to please God first and foremost. That's the most important thing that we can do. So... People walked into our church with intimidation and fear. And may I tell you, that's not a bad response. Why, Pastor Tom? Shouldn't the church be a place where they can walk and feel so welcomed? From us, yes. But if they are dealing with sin in their life, it's not a bad response to walk into a church with a little bit of fear. God much prefers someone walking in church recognizing their sin, over a person walking in church thinking that they're all that in a bag of chips, thinking, "Man, I'm perfect. I'm good. This is all great. Woo! I'm coming in. We're going to worship God for a little bit." And they just got, I mean, done for the last weekend, just doing horrible things, and oh, I'm great. It's all good. Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter eighteen where two men enter the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. The Pharisee in Jesus' day were seen as holy men, righteous men. The tax collectors were the bottom of the barrel. They were the sinful. They were the cheaters. They were the ones that were stealing the money from people. These two men walk into the temple to pray. And as they enter the temple, Jesus tells a story how the Pharisee is standing there Righteous, prideful, opposite of humility. Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm not like all those other people that are around me right now. Especially like that tax collector over there. I'm so grateful for who I am. Then we see the idea, the vision of the tax collector who's standing over on the other side of the temple. He's beating his chest with humility have mercy o god for i am a sinner jesus says you know who the one who's going to find righteousness who's going to find righteousness for his soul it's not the pharisee it's the tax collector he's going to find he's going to be justified before god see repentance before god is a wonderful attribute Many times after we accept Jesus as our Savior, we do away with repentance because we're covered by God's grace. So I don't need to repent anymore. I would beg to defer. Now, I don't need to live in repentance because I'm always fearful that I'm not right with God. Once I put my faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ has sanctified me and has made me righteous. I no longer need to walk in fear. But when I'm choosing to live a life of sin, there's something in me that should be repented where I know that this is not honoring God, that I'm not truly following after Christ in this situation in my life. And you need to turn your heart Repent your heart and say, no, I'm going to follow after you. I think in the church today, we're missing the heart of repentance in people. They feel like I can do anything. I'm just going to please my friends. When I get around to please God, you know, that will take place. No, 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 no. We need to please God first. Put God first in my life. And if it offends people, who cares because I'm going to please God. See, the heart of repentance takes and, and just removes all the clutter. And it narrows my focus to who God is in my life. And it's important that we have this heart of repentance. The tax collector had a heart of repentance. And it's a wonderful attribute that we should have in our life. Going back to the story, the Lord responds to Gideon's fear by reassuring Gideon. Gideon, I know that you're standing before me. But I promise you today... You're not going to die. Gideon and Thanksgiving builds an altar to the Lord, and he names that altar Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. After Gideon built the altar, the first duty that Gideon, or the first duty that the Lord gives to Gideon is this: go tear down that altar that your father Joash had built. To honor Baal, Go tear that thing down and cut down the Asherah pole that is just of a sign of a, of a, it's kind of like an altar to sexual goddess. And cut that down and move all that stuff out. In his place, build an altar that, that is to honor me. Then God tells Gideon, use the wood, I love this part. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Use that wood and put it down there and set it to flame so you can make a sacrifice right there before me. I love our God. This task that was given to Gideon was an action towards restoring right relationship between the Israelites and God. It was a step towards reconciliation. In our life, we never will discover peace with God until we find justification and reconciliation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul beautifully states it in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You see, we can have peace with God because of Jesus. And because of that wonderful peace, it should should push us towards living righteous with God. We can't earn our salvation. It's only provided through our Savior, Jesus. And like Gideon's faith in God, we should have the same faith in Jesus. God was the only one who could ever deliver the Israelites from the destruction of the nights, as you read that story. And Jesus is the only one who can ever deliver us from sin. It's why Isaiah 9, 6 states that Jesus will be called the Prince of Peace. He brings peace into our lives by delivering us from sin. The second description of peace, I only have ten more. I just wanted to bring some unrest for some of you guys that need peace right now. The second description of peace that I want to share with you is the peace of God. We talked about the peace with God. Now I want to talk about the peace of God. I believe this was what gave Gideon this courage, this strength to go against the Midianite army. He knew that he was on the right side of God. There's something that is so powerful when we know we're on the right side of God. He no longer needed to live in fear because Gideon had God on his side. It's a powerful place to be. When you know that God is for you and not against you. Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus states these words in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The peace Jesus is leaving with us is this indwelling of his Holy Spirit in our life. It's the indwelling of the Spirit that brings us wonderful peace that leads us and guides us and directs our life. And we can have peace knowing that, you know what, I'm not doing this on my own. That's why Gideon had peace. He knew that Yahweh was leading him. You know what, I can have peace because I know that the Spirit of God is leading me. And the Spirit of God resides in my life. And it doesn't matter what comes around me, the the storms that come around me, I can be at peace with God. It's a wonderful place to be. We should find great strength and courage knowing that the peace of God is leading our lives. I love the words that the Lord Lord gives Gideon. When Gideon was questioning why God would choose him, Gideon stated, My family is the weakest in the entire tribe of Israel, and I'm the least of my entire family. And the Lord responds with these simple words, I will be with you. Say that with me. I will be with you. Those are words that we need to write down and remember that when we face those storms, those difficulties in life, that the Lord promises this to, guess what? He promises this to Gideon. Guess what? The Holy Spirit can promise that to you. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's already done. It's already sealed. The Lord is with you. Really, that should be all that we ever need to hear. That's all we need to hear is that God is with me. If God is with me, who can be against me? If I know that, shouldn't I be dwelling in peace? It states in Isaiah 26 You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. So many times, why peace is not in our life is because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we've placed them on things, we've placed them on people, we've placed them over here, we've placed them here, and we forgot that, guess what? My eyes need to be on Jesus. Anytime that you start feeling unrest and anxiety and discouragement in your life, do a check in your life. Where's my eyes focused on? Are my eyes focused on my troubles, my tribulation? Are my eyes focused on my job? Are my eyes focused on, or is my eyes focused on who Jesus is in my life? The Prince of Peace. I leave you with a final story that I read the other day and I want to share it with you today. It's a story of, that takes place years and years ago. It's about a farmer who owned a piece of land on the Atlantic Sea coast. A place, if you've been on the Atlantic Sea coast at all, you know it's a place where there can be horrific storms that take place. He was constantly having to advertise for workers for his farm, but most people were reluctant because of the terrible storms. They would come in and they'd beat on the barns, they'd beat on the house, they'd destroy the crops. and So there was always this massive amount of work to have to do because of the Atlantic Seacoast, the storms that would come in. So he was putting advertisement out needing help. Finally, an older, thin man applied for the job on the farm. The farmer asked, Are you a good farmhand? The older man replied, Well, I can sleep when the wind blows. The farmer thought, well, that sure is a strange response. But he didn't worry about it. He just needed someone to work on the farm, so he hired the older man. The man was an amazing worker. He worked from dawn to dusk every single day. He was more than the farmer really expected. Then one night, a huge storm comes rolling in off the Atlantic seacoast. The farmer hears the storm coming, and he jumps out of bed and he grabbed a lantern and he rushed next door to the hired hand's sleeping quarters. He shook the thin old man and yelled, get up, a storm has come. You need to tie down, tie down the things before they blow away. The little old man rolled over in his bed, no, sir. I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows. Enraged by the man's response, the farmer went out to go ahead and Put everything together and lock everything down. But to his amazement, to his surprise, he discovered everything had been taken care of. The cows were all in the barn. The chickens were in their coop. The haystacks had all been covered and they were all secured. The shutters on the house were locked and shut. Everything was secured. Everything was done. Then the farmer understood the hired hand's comment, I can sleep when the wind blows. A person whose life is following after Jesus can rest when the storms come hitting your life. Because guess what? Everything is secured. Everything is in its place. Because you have Jesus at the helm. You have Jesus leading your life. When all of a sudden everything starts to want to cave in on you, guess what? You find this supernatural peace of God. Because you know that God is leading you. That you're in his hand. No matter what happens to you, no matter what might try to crush you, you walk with peace. I've experienced this firsthand in my own life. And I've experienced this firsthand with people who've been on their deathbed. And they're dying. And they look at me. And I walk away from their their hospital room or from their hospice care. And I walk away. I went to encourage them. And they encouraged me. And I walk away just a little bit higher and stronger than ever before. Why? Because it wasn't, they were not focused on the storm. They were not focused on the difficulties. They were not focused on their sickness. They were not focused on their disease. Their focus was on Jesus. And in Jesus, we have peace. Are you searching for peace? Are you missing peace in your life? Where's the focus at? Is your focus on Jesus? Or as you focus on the Midianite army, it looks like it's about ready to destroy you, and you can't look at it and you go like, "How is this ever going to work?" With Jesus, all things are possible. Take your eyes off the things that are not of God, and put your eyes on Him. Watch what will happen in your life. Lord, we thank you for your Word today. Whew, we thank you that your Word is powerful. It is strong. It is abundant. It is mighty. And God, we invite you and we invite your presence into this place. And God, we ask that you fill us with your spirit, that you would continue to lead us, guide us, direct us as a church, as the body of Christ, but also as individuals in our workplace, at our schools, whatever we might do or wherever we might be. God, I pray over this entire congregation and everyone who's watching online today, I pray, God, that our eyes would remain on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Our strength, Lord, is found in knowing that we are at peace with you. Our courage, Lord, is knowing that you are with us. We love you, Lord, today, and we thank you for it your love today with eyes bowed eyes closed for just a minute if you're in this place and there's no shame in the game because we all get here and you're in a place man you're just struggling and you're saying man pastor tom i i have been at such unrest i have so much anxiety i'm just not at peace and i need peace in my life just raise your hand, because i want to say a prayer or prayer over you today just raise your hand i see that hand i see that hand i see that hand other hands i see that hand No shame in the game. We can get in difficult times, man. At jobs, at school, with whatever situation. it can just, overwhelm you. I want to say a prayer, a blessing over you today. This blessing is not something that I can just go like, oh, everything's going to be resolved. But no, it's going to be a reminder for you that you got some work to do. (laughs) I have some work to do. Take my eyes off problems and put my eyes on Jesus. So, Lord, that's my prayer for each person here today that's struggling with whatever situation they're facing, it might seem overwhelming to them right now, and it looks overwhelming to us in the natural. It looks like it's impossible. It looks like, who am I, Lord, to be able to do something that you put me in right now? And God, I can't do this on my own strength. And God, that is right where you want us, a place where like the tax collector is beating his chest and saying, man, I can't do this on my own. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. And it's in that place of humility where, Lord, you can come into our lives by the power of your Spirit and lead us and guide us and direct us and do things that we saw as impossible, God, you will make possible. And so, Lord, I pray that over every person here today, for those who are seeking more peace in their life, God, grant them peace today by the power of your Spirit. Come alive to them today, I pray. Let them see you face to face, Lord God, today. Let them experience your presence this week, I pray. We love you, Lord. We worship you, Lord, today. And we thank you that you are our Jehovah Shalom. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources.